Hey, good evening, everyone. This is Lacey Johnson with the Lacey Johnson Podcast. Uh, glad to have you with us this evening. Got a great guest, uh, James uh, A. Williams, uh, famous actor, uh, director, uh, August Wilson expert. Uh, and he'll, he'll straighten out some of my language on this, but he just, uh, uh, and I'll talk about some of the experiences that I've had seeing him on stage and things like that as we go along. Uh, but before we get started, remember to go out to LaceyJohnson.com and subscribe to the channel. Uh, like what we're doing tonight. We love likes. Uh, we got an online store. Go out and uh, uh, look at the merchandise. Hopefully you think uh, my brand and, and trademarks are good enough that you want to order some. And if you want to order something, and send, send it back to me and have me autograph. I'm, I'm open to that also. Uh, so go out and support the podcast. Uh, you can donate uh, and just become a patron of the podcast. So, uh, like I said tonight, uh, I'm very excited uh, with our guest tonight here, uh, young man. Well, he's my age though, but we're still young man. Uh, we met during our college years at the University of Minnesota. He was going to McAllister at that time. And uh, I'm just excited about this young man. I just found out recently uh, they're going to be naming a theater after him at McAllister College. And uh, McAllister College is one of those uh, small, uh, highly renowned, I guess, uh, liberal colleges. Uh, some of the graduates from there is uh, Kofi Annan, I think I'm pronouncing that right, the former uh, Secretary of the United Nations. Uh, Walter Mondale, uh, former vice president. And then I saw an actor in there. I think his name was Robert Berg. I don't know too much about him because I don't watch a lot of that stuff. But another famous actor from uh, McAllister. In fact, in addition to our guest tonight, James Williams, like I said, we call him J-Dub, uh, there are some other actors from uh, McAllister College, Russell Curry. Uh, Russell went on to start in the soap opera another world in fact my first time in new york city i went there to visit russell uh limousine picking him up at five o'clock in the morning and things like that also uh abdul salam the late actor abdul salam el razak uh he's probably most famous for uh being in the movie glory and he's had a lot of parts out in hollywood so we got some pretty good actors here from the twin cities oh and I can't neglect my son, uh, Darian Johnson. Uh, he's he's not current, that actor right now, but he did make his off-Broadway uh, debut, I think, at, at the acting company. Got a great write-up uh, in the New York Times. And you have to understand, as a father, to see your son get a great review, theater review in the New York Times. At the time, I think he was starting to play Rosencrantz and Gildans during a dead. Uh, he was in the touring company on that. And I have to say, I caught him out in California in the LA area. No, it was in the San Francisco area. And he did a great job. I was just really proud of him. Uh, everything they went through to get his Southern accent, make him lose his Southern accent, even though he never lived down South. But this was at uh, Brown University and his professors, they talked to us about it. We need to get rid of that Southern accent. And I guess that's because he, uh, born and raised by country people like me and my wife, but we were proud of that. So, uh, without further ado, uh, I'm going to bring on tonight's guest, uh, Mr. James Williams. 
Uh, J-Dub, welcome to the Lisa Johnson Podcast. Great to have you as guest. It's a pleasure to be here. I heard the wonderful things that you were saying, uh, especially about Darian. I saw him in Rosencrantz and Gildersleeve, too. He was good. He was very good. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, and the apple don't fall, fall, don't fall far from the tree. You know, you got some skills. <laughs> I got a few, yeah, but I, I don't like to bring them up because I get accused of being arrogant every once in a while. <laughs> I, you know what? The only thing wrong with being arrogant is not living up to the mark. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's great. And, and as I, every time I see you, uh, most of the time I see you, I remind you of the fact that when we first met, we both pledged Cap Alpha Psi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the motto, uh, uh, achievement in every area of human endeavors. And that's who we are. Yeah. And But when I first met uh, uh, James uh, and learned he's actually what he wanted to be, he, was, he wanted to be an actor. And I joke with him all the time. I'm like, is this guy, how's he going to ever do anything he acted? I feel sorry for him. <laughs> I don't know why, because it's just a tough field. But uh, you have uh, left a very good uh, background, reputation, uh, accomplishment in theater. And so we're going to get into that right now. But before we do, the first thing, tell us about uh, the James A. William Theater that's coming up uh, has already been uh, christened at uh, McAllister College. Well, the dedication is going to happen September 26th. Um, it is an amazingly special day for me, something that I never thought would happen because, you know, usually the only way you get your name on something is you pay for it, right. you know. And let's be perfectly honest, you know, don't, I don't need nobody sending me no requests for help because I ain't got it like that, you know. Right. <laughs> the thing that I will say first and foremost is God is good all the time, you know. Yes. And we all know how that goes after that. And all the time God is God. good. Yes, yes. You know, um, I... The, theater, the, the black box theater there, when I was talking to you earlier, I keep saying it's the black box and people mm-hmm. think I'm talking about it, it being small. No, um, it's, that was a very important place for me. That's when I discovered my love of this, uh, my desire of this, and God put it on my heart that this was what he wanted me to do. You know, you say, I said it. I did. I said it and I said it in arrogance, but that's because I didn't have the courage to say, God put this on my heart, that this is what I'm supposed to do. And I, I've grown since then. I realized that that was, that was the place where, and most people look at theater as an art form, uh, as a field of entertainment and all of that. And it is all of that. But for me personally, it's my ministry. It has gotten me in the doors to talk to people that I never thought I would meet. It has gotten me in situations that I never thought I would be in. I found myself standing in Keith Ellison's office 
in D.C., you know, having a conversation with him uh, while we were doing Aquila and the Bee at, at the Arena Theater out there. Um, I found myself talking to a Nobel Peace Prize winner in Kenya, Wangari Maathai, um, when we were doing the meeting over in uh, Nairobi. Um, I, I found myself in a small village in Tanzania, in Arusha, no, not in Arusha, uh, Arusha is the big town, Arusha town, in Usa River, Tanzania, working with a group of kids, trying to uh, help them find their voice the way I found mine in this. So this is a gift from God. You know, I'm a basically a project kid from St. Louis, Missouri. You know? I, I like the way you frame that because God put it on your heart to do it. And that's what a lot of things I'm doing. God puts it on my heart to do it. A lot of times there's no rewards for it. As a matter of fact, you get a beating for it. And that's what allows us to go on and keep doing this. So I really like that. And you know, my thing along, all along with our community is God, family, uh, education, and prosperity. Those are the four pillars to me. And those are my interests. And I think one of the issues that we are running into as a community and as a people is that we're losing sight of God and the spiritual aspect of life. And so, which, yeah, so uh, that's, that's excellent way you put that. Now, uh, you may recall, I think immediately after college, we were part of something called Radio Theater for Black People here. Exactly. In with yourself and Brother Yeah, yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed that program. And you guys carved out a little five minutes from your uh, great theater work to let me come in and do like a little variety show where I did uh, editorials and things. And every once in a while, someone would call in to the theater and tell me to go back to Africa and that type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy every, every minute of it. And now, were you one of the founding uh, people at Penumbra? Were you one of the founding actors there? I yes, I was. I was oh, one okay. of the first five people on contract there. Oh, yeah. Okay. And can you name, a, uh, how, how, did you say five people all together? I said, uh, well, I, I was one of the first five. It ended up five. at okay. its height being maybe 30 people. Okay. Okay. At one time. But yeah, no, so I, I've, no, it, it was part of my blessing. The thing about the black box at McAllister, in the black box at McAllister, I did a show for a senior, a guy named Steve Yoakum, who is one of my dearest friends right now. As a matter of fact, I take that back. He ain't my friend. He's my brother. You know, uh, <clears throat> Yoke came to me, and it's so funny because Yoke is this white guy from, you ready for this? Bloomington, Indiana. As a oh, okay. Kid, oh, yeah. Okay. As a kid, he used to deliver paper to the Alpha, the Alpha Chapter house. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Small world. Yeah. yeah, it's small world. So, I mean, the first time I wore my Kappa stuff to rehearsal, he went, oh, and started laughing. And, and you know, most white folks really don't know what this means. You know, they, they K, who is K? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 right, 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 right. And, and uh, he said to me, he said, I heard you act. 
and said, yeah, I do. And I'm, I'm being all of my 20-year-old St. Louis self. Yeah, I do. Yeah, well, I want you to be in my play. Okay, I think about it. And he turned to walk out the room and true story. I said, I got to tell you something. He said, what? He said, I don't like white people. He said, I ain't asking you to be one. And walked out the room. <laughs> that's when our friendship began. Uh, and in the play, uh, there some of my line brothers, you know, you, I, you, I know you know, uh, Black Gold, Charles, the Reverend Charles Hudson, uh, Russell Curry, whom you mentioned, uh, Faye Price, who is a fantastic theater artist, uh, went to McAllister, Kim Hines, um, and, and in the cast was Jack Ruler. And Jack Ruler went on to take that show, his experience in that show was instrumental in him starting Mixed Blood Theater on the West Bank at the Firehouse. Oh, yeah. uh -huh. And uh, the second season of, of Mixed Blood, they he asked me to come over and work. And I came over and Lou Bellamy was directing the first play there. And that's where I met Lou. And that summer, Lou said, you know what, man? I got this thing that I'm getting ready to do in St. Paul. You want to come do it with me? And it's like, yeah, you know, it, it, it's so my journey started out. Ordered, God ordered these steps, you know, the sermon right. took me in the right doors, kept me saying yes to windows that were opening and the blessings of heaven poured out. Wow. So I wanted to uh, start off with uh, start off with uh, your background growing up in St. Louis, but I'm going to improvise a little bit here because we are talking about penumbra and I've expressed this to you and I just want our audience to know uh, I saw this gentleman in the lead road in fences and it was the most fabulous performance in the theater I've seen. And I was just in awe of how good you were in Fences at the Penumbra Theater. And the interesting part about that, and I don't know whether I've shared this with you, I had just before that seen the professional actor, I think it was Lars Fishburne in that role. I forgot exactly who it was. And I, I mean, Denzel did some good things too, but, uh, and I'm like, J-Dub blew him away. He blew away this famous, rich and famous actor. He just blew him away. So. I just want to let you know that I was just in awe of your performance. And so J-Dub, yeah, uh, tell me, I mean, you, you've been in a, quite a few uh, August Wilson plays. Like, I, In fact, you've been in all 10 of them, I think. And uh, you are a renowned, I don't, in a word I try to stay away from, but I think it applies here. Uh, you are a renowned expert in August Wilson plays. Uh uh, well, and you and, and you can back off of that a little bit if you want. By the way, well, I do. I back off of that because there are a lot of people around claiming that who really hate them. Um, and it, it's. I had the pleasure of meeting August that first year of Penumbra, when uh, Claude Purdy, who was a very good friend of his, uh, they had met in Pittsburgh, and Claude came up to direct. 
our first on-stage production at Penumbra. And August came up to see it. And he fell in love with the idea of Black people in a space in a Black community doing work with messages for Black people. You know, it was our story. It was us telling our story our ways, which is, um, you know, that, that whole food booth theory for us, by us. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, it, it gave that whole area a sense of ownership of the arts. Not that we were, I'm not saying that we were the first artists there because there were uh, groups like Ujima Players. That was uh, Bimmy and James Riley and mm -hmm. Abdul and Tia Mann and Maisie Johnson, you know. Uh, names that people don't know, but they should. Um, and then August decided to stay here and, you know, see if he could, he had a, the beginnings of a play, Black Bart in the Sacred Hills, and to see if he could get it into a shape where he, you know, where he wanted to do it. So I got, I got a chance to be in August Wilson's first professional play, you know, in Black Bart in the Sacred Hills. I'm the only person, I'm the only actor on the face of the earth that can say he he was in August Wilson's first professional production and the 10th show of the 10th play cycle. I've done 11. And the first one is one that's sitting somewhere that Heaven and earth is going to have to move to allow that one to be done again. Oh, really? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Why? Am uh, I missing something? Because it, it, it was a first play. Okay, I got you. I got His you. first plays are first plays. And right. if he was around, if he was still with us physically, he would probably take the time to go back and take a look at it. Okay. But uh, he's not, you know. Okay. Now, just well for our audience, and and I don't mean to uh, disparage anyone's knowledge, but uh, August Wilson, I guess, is safe to say uh, he's one of the greatest playwrights of our era, if not the greatest playwright, and he's a black playwright. And that's important. He got a connection here uh, to the St. Paul area that you just explained. Yeah. And so, am I correct that you were? Because I know one of the plays. It might have been Jim uh, of the Ocean, or uh, one of the ones before that. I heard that J. Dub is out in either L.A. or New York uh, for the initial opening of that play. My question: Where I'm going, J. Dub? Were you of uh, the uh, actor in all the? Openings of August Wilson, Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright August Wilson. Were you in all in the initial performance of all of all of his plays? No, okay. no. Uh, the only one that I ever did a world premiere of was Radio Go, and that okay. was the play. Now, right. what what did happen was while we were at Penumbra, he was sitting there, and they kept calling me Dub. And he he said, mm, 
I kind of like that name. So there's a character in Jitney named Dub. So I, you know, I, I got to be in a world premiere. I got to be in a Broadway premiere. I got a, a he wrote a character and gave him my name. It's uh, you know, like I said, God is good all yeah, yeah. the time in ways you know above and beyond anything you can imagine. I you know, know exactly what you're saying. Above so, and beyond. So uh, you were, well, let me let me let the audience know this. Yours was the greatest performance. I have three memorable theater, three great theater members, uh, top theater members. Got a lot of them. But one was your performance in Fences at the Penumbra Theater. Uh, one was my son's performance off-Broadway debut uh, in Rosencrantz and Gildenstein. I think you can pronounce that. Yep. And I do that. Uh, off-Broadway. Got a great write-up in the New York Times. I was just so proud of it. I still got the article hanging. And then uh, August Wilson's last play, I think, was Jim and the Ocean, I think. It, isn't it? Was it? Last was Radio Golf. Jim was next to last. Next to last. Radio Golf was last. Yeah. Okay. 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 Uh, I saw Jim of the Ocean on Broadway, and Felicia Rashad was in there. Yeah. And I was sitting close enough, and I don't know why this had the effect on me, to see her bring tears in her eyes, live and in person. Yeah. I mean, she just, I'd never seen that before. So those are my uh, great theater members. I did study theater in college. I majored in, finally changed from pre-med to English, and I majored in that too. The theater, uh, British comedy, and those type of things. Tom Stoppard and everyone all you, be. You and, get it. You get and of course, it. Shakespeare and all the old Middle England plays and things like that. So I have a pretty good appreciation for that in the type of work you do. So I promise uh, to go back to your childhood because, you know, to be honest with you, part of the thing of his saying, uh, I want to be an actor, I'm like, wait a minute, he's from St. Louis. What are you talking about? What are and look, I, I hate to admit it, I just assume we always from the hood. Like, what a little kid, a good kid from the hood, know about wanting to be an actor. But let's go back to your childhood uh, in St. Louis. Uh, tell us about your family configuration. How many sisters and brother, mom and dad, and what made? How did you get from that uh, growing up in St. Louis in the hood to all of a sudden here you at McAllister College talking about? You want to be an actor and you're pledging capital. Give us a quick synopsis of how all that happened. I give you a synopsis. I don't know if it's going to be quick. Okay. I can't. Uh -huh. it, it's, I'm the youngest of three children who was raised by a single mother who. was the strongest, most dedicated, had the most intense work ethic of anyone I've ever seen in my life. I mean, my mother, her family was middle-class African-American. When she fell in love with my father and she married him, she was at Lincoln University in city Missouri and she left school to marry my dad who was from the streets and they cut off 
And when they cut her off, I, my grandmother did not play. They cut her off. And so when she and my father broke up and she had three kids, wasn't no coming back. So my mother, Dolores Williams, Dolores Williams, her maiden name was Jones, Dolores Odessa Jones. Um, got up and went and, and and I know people say this kind of stuff, but this is the truth. She went and was a maid at the flop house hotel where you bought rooms by the hour and brought, you know, and she cleaned that for years until she finally got she passed the government test and she became a government worker. She worked us way up from a GS-5 to a GS-12. And this is a woman who that when she retired, about five years before she retired, she had to have surgery. And it was a surgery that took a length of time to recover. So she took maybe five months off to recover. When she retired after she put in her 25 years, she still had enough time to be paid. She still had six years, not six years, six months of paid leave left. So I grew up in a house where you didn't miss work. You know, I grew up in a house where you were never too sick to work. Um, I grew up in a house where you were on time and you had manners. You know, my mother was the mother who, when my friends came in the house with their caps on, she would walk by and thump them off their heads. And they'd go, I'm sorry, Miss Williams, I forgot. You know, um, now with all that being said, I didn't catch on to that. At the time, I was a kid. I was going to be a kid. None, none of us caught on to that uh, at the same time. It took us a while. When I got my acceptance, less, a letter from McAllister College, I was literally on my way with the vice president of detention for my college, I mean, for my high school, to be thrown out of school because I wasn't, I wasn't cool. I wasn't, you know, a jock. I was just a little short fat boy in thick glasses. And a little short, smart fat boy in thick glasses in our neighborhoods, that means victim was on your forehead. Right. Right. You know, not only that, mm -hmm. my brother, was the toughest guy in the neighborhood. My sister was the toughest girl in the neighborhood. So if I wasn't around them, I was like red meat for lions. Right. Then when my brother went into Vietnam, I didn't have, I, we went in the military and went to Vietnam, I didn't have no backup. So I spent a lot of time not going to school. I went to high school with Michael Spinks, Leon Spinks, I mean, 
We went there, two traditionally black high schools in St. Louis, Missouri. Hadley Tech, i.e. Sumner. No, I'm sorry, Hadley Tech, i.e. Vashon, which is where I ended up going to school. And Sumner High School, which is where my mother and her family went to school, which was the middle class school. That was the school that brought out Grace Bunbury and opera singers and Shakespearean actors and band conductors and all of this. Bashan put out boxers and football players. Right. You know, and I mean, this, this was, it was literally a six story factory that they, they cleaned out the machines except for the shoe machine, <laughs> the shoe repair machine, the auto mechanic shop, the aero mechanic shop and the dry cleaners and painted the walls blue and opened the door and let 4,000 kids in. There was a thousand kids in my freshman class. Wow. So, I, I, man, my, my freshman year of high school, people were talking about should they put metal detectors in school? There were metal detectors in my school in 1969, you know? Uh, through the grace of God, I ran into a woman named Jeanette Matthews, who was a guidance counselor. And I had taken the, Missouri, the Missouri State Aptitude Test and had tested off the chart. And she, was, she would hang out by my advisory and try to find me. And I wouldn't come. I mean, I would. I found out I was smart enough to find out if you didn't go to school seven days in a row, they would call your house. So I wouldn't go six days, and then show up on the seventh. Hmm. And because my name is James Williams, there were six other James Williamses in the school. So as long as I didn't enroll in class. Wouldn't nobody know I wasn't there as long as I was advised in the advisory. So I'd go to advisory every, you know, every six days. I mean, you know, every five days. And so Miss Matthews saw my test scores and she looked at me and said, I'm not going to let you throw your life away. Here's what I'm going to do. And she had got me into a program at Washington University called Upward Bound. And in Upward Bound, you took classes that were two years ahead of you. And you experienced things that you would have never got to experience. You stayed on campus for six weeks in the summer and you ended up going to we visited Tennessee State. We visited Northern Illinois University. They took us to Chicago. They took us to Cincinnati for jazz festivals. And a part of that was they took us to plays and movies that we wouldn't normally see. So in addition to seeing Shaft and Sweet Sweetback and Willie Dynamite and all of those, we saw The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, 
you know, and it was the funniest thing in the world. You could see 50, 50 black kids from inner city St. Louis sitting in a room crying over the, the life of a deaf of a deaf white man. And they also took us to see plays. And that was where I first saw it. And it was like, this is, this is kind of cool. But you don't say that out loud. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You don't say that out loud. Because there are a whole lot of other things that are associated with being in theater and being male. Right, right. You know, and I'm already fat, smart, and with glasses. I don't need nobody thinking nothing else negative about me. Not right, right, right. Yeah, you right. know, I don't need no more obstacles. Mm -hmm. um, so what ended up happening was then another, you're talking about mentors, another mentor, a woman named Barbara Woods came when we moved, when the program moved from Washington to St. Louis University. She came in, her and a brother named James Harrod, and they were both strong, strong proponents of the black arts movement. So she started a theater class and Mr. Harrod was friends with people like uh, Amiri Baraka and Alice Walker and Sonia Sanchez. And so they came and read to us when they were in the area. Oh wow. man, we sat, yeah, I mean, we, we, we sitting in there and, and didn't nobody want to be there. You know, everybody's sitting there like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Color purple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know. Yes, ego tripping. Yes, thank you, Nikki Giovanni. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and but then Miss Woods opened the theater program, and with the theater program, we did uh, a show called Happy Ending with Douglas Turner Ward. From NEC wrote happy ending. It's it's two one acts, happy ending and day of absence. Everybody knows about day of absence when all the black people in town disappear and the white folks go crazy. Happy ending is a story about two domestics, two women, and their their twenty year old nephew walks in, and he's clean. He's got in college. He's got the up to date briefcase and all this kind of stuff. And they sitting on the couch crying because Miss Ann and Mr. Mike getting ready to get a divorce. And he goes off on them talking about how dare y'all be sitting here like, you know, why are you crying? Because Miss Ann and, and, and they, they getting ready to get a divorce. Good on them. And then they break life down to it. And they say, wait a minute. Why you think who you think own that briefcase that we gave you? <laughs> Where you think your suits come from? Have you ever wondered why we always eat steak? You know, and, and, and it was just a different look at what how we think we know things things work. Now, in that play, I was playing the husband. I, I came in on the last two pages and I had two lines. And the guy that was playing the nephew wouldn't come to rehearsal. And so I'd be reading 
And she kicked him out of the play right before the play opened and said, who, he said, well, who's going to take my part? She pointed at me. So I took the part. And it was the first time I was ever on stage and people applauded. And that feeling changed my life. Now, the next year, we're doing Raising in the Sun. I'm the lead. My stupid butt don't go to rehearsal. Because other things are more important. I remember I was bowling for the Upward Bound Championship. And she showed up at the championship match. And I told her, I said, Miss Woods, I'll be at rehearsal as soon as we get done. And she said, you ain't got to make it. Don't worry about it. I said, why? And she, this brother named Ralph Stewart is amazing. This is almost 55 years ago, and I still remember that brother's name. Ralph Stewart, I was supposed to play. Oh, 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 come on, come on, come on. The name just walked right out of my head. Uh, uh, Walter Lee. I was playing Walter Lee. I had to sit in the audience and watch Walter, watch Ralph play Walter Lee. And when the applause came, there was something in my heart that said, that's my applause. Yeah. And since then, I, the, the thing that, if that's what put it in the back of my mind, you asked what made me want to be an actor. Those mm -hmm. things stacked up like that. Really, all I ever really wanted to do was get out of St. Louis. When I took my ACT and my SAT, My grade point average was maybe 175 on a 4.0 system because I wouldn't go to school. You couldn't have graduated with no 1.75. No. Well, I went to McAllister on a GED because we, we ah. my test scores. Right. I had a 34 on the ACT and a combined 1,400 on the SAT. The highest you get on the ACT is 36. I know. know. I know. So you were, yeah, you got a lot of scholarship offers. Uh, a lot of, you heard from a lot of colleges no, because no, of that. I not scholarship offer. You might have heard from a lot of colleges. but No, uh, everybody looked at that 1.9 ah, and said, okay. we done, and they were right because I didn't right. know how to go to school. Right. And what happened was at McAllister, they had an EEO program who the head of the program, the chief recruiting officer of the program, was a graduate of Vashon High School. In St. Louis. Yep. And Matthew said, I'm betting on this young man. He's going to get his life together. He's going to get his stuff together. And they told me, they said, you you got to go back and your senior year, you got to go back. And my senior year was janky. And they said, okay, at St. Louis University, you have to get two A's. You have to get an A in algebra trigonometry, and you have to get an A in American history. And then we'll let you in McAllister. I got A plus. 
and you knocked it out of the park. A couple of quick things. Uh, Washington University in St. Louis, for those who haven't heard of that, it has a great, great reputation. In fact, uh, my some people in my high school got some connection to Washington University, and uh, it's one of the most, its graduates are very influential, even though okay. people haven't heard of them, uh, and they think of the Ivy League, but Washington University is no joke. And uh, one of my academic All-Americans uh, from my high school went there, and then we had a basketball All-American who went to St. Louis University. Uh, you might have been too young for that. Uh, Jesse Ghost Leonard. Uh, oh, yeah, I know. I know about know Jesse Ghost Leonard. I know about that. Oh, yeah. yeah, Ghost Ghost is from my high school. In oh, fact, I did not know that. Yeah, and one of my most memorable uh, nights in a sports arena of Ghost hitting the winning shot as I'm walking out of the arena because I thought we had lost. And somehow we stole the ball back with two seconds left and they fed it into Ghost. And I'm going out of the arena and I'm Ghost turn around, shoot a jump shot. And I'm standing there like, you know, that's going to go in. So that's, it's a small world, man. Yeah, I don't know what's yeah. happening to Ghost, but I know he's doing well somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a very small world. Yeah, uh, so and you are proving something else, though. Well, there's a, if you're a person of God, there's just blessings that come your way. Amen. People Amen. who are not, they think it's luck, a serendipity, of all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to even refer to it as serendipity or luck, but you just had a lot of blessings that come your way. And you've been in an environment of people who support you. You got a you had a network of support. Go ahead. So let me tell you why. Because remember, I told you about my mom. I didn't tell you, see, I was raised Catholic. We're fourth generation Catholic. So you know we was middle class. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I was we were supposed to be middle class, I should say. Well, yeah, Catholic, if, if you're black and Catholic, you're middle class. Well, right. Right. Right, right, you know, right. So my no, my mother got on her knees every morning and said the rosary, and then got on her knees every night and said the rosary, and put us in put us. We were in church on the regular every Sunday at mass, and then at thirteen she let each one of her kids choose for themselves. And none of us chose to stay in the church at that time. And she kept praying and kept praying and kept praying. So all these blessings that came on me didn't have nothing to do with me. It was proof that that's, that's what, when I did become born again, it was like, y'all can't tell me nothing. Y'all can't tell me nothing because I know where I was supposed to be. And I always tell people was theater was the thing that my mother prayed for in my life that I would listen to until I learned to listen to God. Right. Well, you're hitting on so many great themes here. Uh, faith, God, family, hardworking mom. Uh, Cause that's, a, that's the same story I got by my mom, man. Just. She's the hardest working person I ever seen in my life. Actually, she was the smartest person. You probably got your smart from your mom too, man. Smart, and you have to keep in mind you've been there. I mean, you go to these colleges and stuff, and 
you know, I was in science, guys who finished physics, midterm, in 30 minutes and scored 90 on them or something. Uh, but through it all, my mom is still the smartest person I've ever met and the hardest work, working person I've ever seen in my life and one who has instilled values in both of us. And the fact that we're both here and I've achieved a certain amount of accomplishments in life, especially since there's going to be a theater uh, over the Black Box Theater or whatever over at McAllister College with his name on it. And I'm assuming the plaque is going to say James A. Williams, so it might even actually have your middle name in it. What does that A stand for, Mr. James A. Williams? The A stands for Austin. Austin, okay. Yep, I'm James Austin Williams. Now, is there a story behind your name? Is there a significance to Austin, James? Well, James, if it's Catholic, it's biblical, I know, but well, is there a story behind your name? I'm named after an uncle okay. who died in, in in combat. Hey, we got a lot of stuff in common here. Uh, I'm named after a soldier who died in combat in the Korean War. What people don't know a lot is my name was Larry for three days. <laughs> and, yeah, and so, I get it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course, with a name like Lacey, when you're young, and, and the biggest thing was first day of school, the teacher would call me Lucy because they thought it was a misspelling, and people would laugh. Mm -hmm. and you, you know, when you're a teenager, you looking for anything where people can make fun of you. And I, I didn't like my name originally, but here's the funny thing about it. We'll get back to your you here. When I got to high school, I, uh, the girls liked it. They love calling me Lacey Lee, and I'm like, hey, okay. See. And for the first 20 years, uh, so first, I don't know, 10 years after graduating, I never knew another Lacey. And then finally, 10 years later, I met a first gentleman named Lacey. But anyway, my name was Lacey for three days, and you were James Austin Williams, was named after your uncle, which, of course, says to me, your uncle must have been someone that people kind of looked up to, because otherwise they wouldn't have named you after uh, yeah. why, does, why does she name you after your uncle, uh, James Austin Williams? I will put it like this. I am the only male in my immediate family that is not named Daniel. My older okay. brother's name is, da my father's name was Daniel. He's Daniel the first. My older brother's name is Daniel Jr. His son's name is Daniel the third. His son's name is Daniel the fourth. So you have Big Dan, Big Dog, Little Dan, and D Ford. Wow. Now his second son, my 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 nephew's second son, is named Austin. So I'm like, kill. <laughs> you know. So let, let's talk a little bit about your acting career because like I said, you just took off uh, what people should know also is that our Star Tribune here one year, might have been the year I saw you in Fences, named you Entertainer of the Year and perhaps they saw the same performance that I saw. Uh, but Mr. James A. Williams is Entertainer of the Year 
uh, according to our local paper, the much deserved Star Tribune. So there were some other uh, things I heard about you. Uh, I wasn't always there in person, but that you were a, like I say, a renowned uh, actor in August Wilson plays. Uh, and somehow uh, you were teaching in Africa or something like that. Why don't you tell us about your African experience and how you got over, uh, ended up over in Africa and what you did over there and how much you enjoyed that? Well, again, I'll say this has been my ministry. Um, for 14 years, I did um, a program at the Hennepin County Home Schools every summer teaching young men how to tell, you know, how to find their voice through theater. And then we would do it, we'd put together a show, do it at the homeschool facility, and then go out to a professional theater and do it there over a weekend and invite the mayor, the governor, uh, prosecutors, defense, because it was important for people to see these young people before they became numbers in the system and to understand that this young man standing in front of you loved to fish with his grandpa, you know, and somehow or another that got taken away. Uh, now, the same guy who brought me into that program founded something called the International Theater and Literacy Project. And they we did the same kind of program in Tanzania. And under the auspices there, uh, people don't know it, but the official language of Tanzania is not Swahili, it's English. And so what they wanted was they wanted to set up a situation where we, young people would have an, an, an English, an immersive English experience over four weeks. And then at the end of it, put on shows that were inspired by the issues that were in their villages, in their families, in their schools. Uh, so it was amazing, man. I got a chance to see Africa in a way most people don't get to see. I wasn't a tourist, right, you know. Right. I'm, I'm leaving the compound and walking three kilometers up the road through a village to a school. And I walk into the I, I walk into the school compound, and the first day, they're form four who are really like high school sophomores here. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking I'm getting to school. I know the class starts at nine. I get to school at 8.30 thinking I'm getting there early and the kids been there for a half hour and they are on their hands and knees swabbing the floor of the classroom, trying to make it ready for the American teacher. Wow. You know, and, and it, it, it messed with me because coming back and continuing to do work with kids, because I also, uh, through working with Jan Mandel and Marianne McClinton, who please don't let me, don't let this in without me saying that name a few more times. Um, 
worked with high school kids here at St. Paul Central, at uh, Minneapolis Washburn, Minneapolis South, and then I had a couple of youth companies uh, out of Pillsbury House and out of Mill City, I had the Mill City Youth Players. Um, got a chance to work with all of them, but then I was, I came back here and I was mad. I was like, okay, wait a minute. These, I, it's all these kids in Africa lining up for all these opportunities. I took the Oprah route where it was like, okay, maybe it ain't worth it. And then I had to stop myself and say, okay, we each lead different kinds of hardships. You know, what is it? When you in, what I realized was that when you're in Tanzania, you can close your eyes and go to sleep at night and dream of being in America and life will be better. But if you're in America, when you close your eyes and go to sleep, there ain't no better place to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting little point you made, very salient point. So now let's let's talk a little bit about the challenges of acting. Uh, you know, first time I went out to Hollywood, one thing that struck me <laughs> was all the uh, homeless, all the people on the street. Who well, I'm assuming came there with high hopes and dreams and everything. And that reminded me of how tough of a profession it is. You and I both know some actors here locally. Uh, and I just remember one of them I talked to, and I'm like, you know, hey, did you ever think of being a great big movie star, et cetera, et cetera? And he just turned to me, and I really appreciate it. He said, man, look, I'm just happy to make a living of doing what I, I love. See. I just, I just want to happy to make a living doing what I'm doing. And I really appreciated that once again when I went out to Hollywood. And it's just crazy. All, and I'm assuming it's a lot worse now. This was years ago. Uh, all the people who have uh, lost dreams out there. So give our audience a feeling of your journey. Uh, from St. Louis to I want to act, um, now I'm acting, but this is a tough field. And and, and, and and we talk about this. When did you think you had made it or did you ever think you had made it? Let's, let's, let's just share that with our audience for those who might be thinking about uh, going into the field of acting. Uh, you, 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 the first thing you get, one of the first things you should get rid of is that idea of making it. You know, because if you look at it, the most prolific actor we know of is Sam Jackson. And Sam Jackson ain't turning down no work because if you've been broke, you know, it's just around the corner. And you don't, it, it's one of the things that has helped me the most in this business mm -hmm. is being from the hood. You know, where you look at everybody, it's like, look, you can tell me whatever you want. You can blow smoke up my butt all day, but I know better. You know, I know better. And, and I've been in situations where people have said, how come you ain't mad? And I said, I got a secret. They said, what? So I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. So if I need to, I'll go back in the back office with the producer and shut the door 
And y'all see me walking out here in handcuffs smiling. And people were like, no, you joking. You 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 can't let nobody take nothing from you. You can't let nobody take nothing from you. And that that holds on. Now what you find out is the only way to keep that from happening is to be able to see that coming from a mile away. That's a good point. You know, if to be able everything I was taught early by Claude Purdy. You got to learn how to read a review. You are never as good as they say you are, and you are never as bad as they say you are. Don't fly too high or too low. You know, because the bottom line is you have to be you longer than you have to be the character. You know, and, and that's the thing. It's a, you were talking about it. My brother said it to me, that, you know, we were talking a few days ago or a couple of months ago. And he said, man, I am really proud of you. Now, you got to understand, my brother is the smartest human being I know. He's my hero. He's the smartest human being I know. He ended up spending 35 years working in a General Motors plant because his wife was my first girlfriend. Uh-oh. No, I mean, I mean, I, she was my I mean, we laugh about it. And she I was I was her first boyfriend. Because then my brother was too old. And so she waited for him. I mean, I, it, it is one of the most beautiful stories. She waited for him. And they got married. They just, they just hit that 50th. And it is, I, I mean, a house, my the, the beautiful thing about everything I told you about my mother is that we were all the black sheep of our family, meaning we were the branch of the family that was supposed to end up in jail or on drugs or all this, or all that, because we didn't have two, you know, we didn't quote unquote have two, two parents and we was wild and we was wild because we were smart. You know, and it was what my mother did instill in us, which it was us against the world. My sister became a paralegal who, when she got tired of working for white folks, opened her own business. My brother worked 35 years for GM, put together some money, has his own business now. You know, his son writes computer code for Bank of America. My son is, you know, my two sons, one of my sons is a police officer in Wake Park. And the other one is a entertainment director for a cruise line in Florida. 
none of us, none of us have spent a single night being incarcerated. Right. None of us. So right. when people say, you right. know, and, and people go, why? And say, because God is good all the time and prayer works. You hitting on it, man. Because, mm -hmm. and that's what, what people don't understand, no matter what your situation is, if you got God in your life, you, you're going to turn out okay. And we've lost that. And we've let people convince us that just because we're poor and black, I'm a single family that you just, nah, the biggest issue that I tell people, and I'm, I'm just honest, most important thing in my life was that I was brought up in the church too. And I had a sense, I had a moral compass. I had values and things that was just good. And like you say, the hard work and uh, responsibilities and, and I don't know about you, watch who you hang out at. Of course, in the inner city of St. Louis, sometimes you don't have no choice. <laughs> you know, my brother, my brother yeah. tell you, he was the person. Don't, don't hang out right. with him. He going to get you right. in trouble. But we were smart. We were yeah. smart enough to go. My brother was smart enough at 16 to go, you know what? If I stay here, I'm going to rebel against my mother. That's going to cause a whole lot of pain. So what I'm getting ready to do is I'm getting ready to go in the Army. You know, I'm getting ready to go in the Army. You know, my mother, to tell you how my mother was, when I left to go to McAllister, we were living in Blue Mile Village Housing Project. When I left to go to McAllister, she said, here, here's $400. Don't ask me for no more money. And I knew not to ask. You know, it's like, okay, you've been asking to get here. You here, now figure it out. The other thing that she would say is that, you know, you sit around and it's like, you know what? That wasn't fair. That wasn't this. And she she let you sit for a while. She said, okay, if you're through feeling sorry for yourself, now what you gonna do? Exactly. Exactly. You know? And and that's. That's the part. We, the first step that I believe sent us in a path was we succumbed to this idea is instead of us, we, we became me, mine. You know, I'm a, I, I can't tell you how it makes my flesh crawl to hear people say, I'm going to get mine. You got to get yours. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm. that ain't how this works. Yeah. That yeah. ain't how this works. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that you got to go broke, but, but what we have, the things that we brought out of slavery, was a sense of community, a sense of helping each other out, a sense of knowing if we don't do for ourselves, it ain't gonna get done. Yep. You know, it, you're you probably heard the phrase root pig or die poor. That was yeah. one of my, you can Google it, <laughs> one of my yeah. mom. And we knew, I don't know about you, we knew they made it clear. 
when you get to the high school, after that, you're on your own. You got to take oh, care yeah. of yourself. You got to take care of your kids. You got to work your butt off. Because I look back here and I tell people quickly, uh, when I left home, there were three things I promised myself. One, I wasn't going to move back home. Mm -hmm. uh, two, I wasn't going to write back and ask for any money. And three, the first time I got any money, I was going to buy my mom and dad something to show them how much I appreciated what they did for me. And I, I uh, kept two of those three promises. One, I, I kind of violated a little bit. You can probably guess what that one is. I think I wrote back home once and I borrowed 500 bucks or something from my mom. Uh, but you know, only, uh, but I kept that. So let's let's talk about this. So now you're uh, on Broadway. You're headlining an August Wilson play. Uh, I'm assuming. And by the way, I haven't been to New York since all this stuff happened. But New York is just one of them towns where you can really have a great time in. So how were you hanging out with actors and people recognize you, signing an autograph? Were you hanging out with Denzel? Uh, how was that uh, experience uh, being in an August Wilson play on Broadway in New York City? And I'm assuming, how long of a run did you have on that play? We had a short run. We had a short run. We, okay. we had but maybe, how was that? I mean, oh, it was yeah. Dude, I was on Broadway. I made it to the Super Bowl. I won. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what I, that's what I tell people. It was like when we moved, when we moved the show from Princeton University into Broadway, into into the rehearsal place on Broadway. Um, I got sick. I had like. I had the worst case of flu I ever had, but it was like, you know what? I'm not new, new, new. I'm not missing this. And I was so sick that the director made me leave rehearsal and go. They, they put me up in a hotel and they said, go home, go get well. And I was laying in bed, looking at the television. And this, this show came on New York one which is the New York specific channel, the entertainment channel. And it was about the play Gypsy, which is about, which is like the quintessential Broadway play. Mm -hmm. And the leads have been Ethel Merman, Pine Daly, you know, all these great women, Barbara Streisand, all these great women of Broadway. And I was laying there looking at it. And I mean, I was laying there in bad shape. And God put on my heart. God said, you one of them now. You one of them. You getting ready to be on Broadway. Get up. <laughs> you know, get up. You Give, if don't nothing else happen in your life, when you die, they go say James A. Williams, Broadway veteran, and it, it's like mm -mm. I played in the finals against Michael Jordan and won. We got nominated for a Tony. I sat at the Tony Awards. That's right. I That's sat right. at the Tony right. Awards. You were talking about seeing Jim of the Ocean 
and seeing Felicia Rashad. Felicia Rashad, when she sees me, she can't remember my name, but she remembers my character. She looks at me and she goes, how you doing? You know, because two of the guys that were in, there were three of us that stuck from the world premiere through Broadway. And two of them were in Jim of the Ocean, John Jokes and Anthony Chisholm. You know, and and we it was the three of us. We were that that braided, you know, that three strand braided cord for the show. And it was it was amazing, man. I'm sitting down, you know, it's stuff they don't tell you about New York. You know, you think you know things and you think, okay, this is where I'm going. I went to dinner with this woman that was in our cast. She said, come on, J.W., I'm going to take you to dinner. We go to, a, it looks like a house. I mean, it really, we go up the stairs, knock on the door. The door opens and it's a five-star hotel. So we sitting there. And we, we we eating and drinking and I turn, you know, I scoop my seat up to let somebody get past me and I look up and it's Charlotte Johansson. Oh, wow. Scarlett Johansson. And then I look over here and it's Joan Rivers. And I look over here and I was like, oh, I'm here. I'm here. You know, and we ain't dressed up. I'm dressed like this. They dress like this. I'm saying, Oh, so this is how New York works. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because when you dress up for a living, you know, it, it's, it's, and, and I had the shot to stay, but I couldn't, I, that way of life was not for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's that way of life was. Well, I mean, you 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 have to you have to want it. It's when you talk to professional ball players, the hardest part when you when you're trying to make it, you think that's the hardest part. The hardest part becomes staying there, and because you there are things that you have to do that because. Everybody is a competitor. You know, everybody is your competition. And it's deep because I still have my New York agent. You know, they liked me enough. It was so funny. We did golf because I, I, my friend Marion McClinton, God rest his soul, my partner, my ace. Um, he was very famous here. He, he passed away a few years ago, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Marion. Yeah, Marion. Yeah, I know a lot. Know him very well. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, Marion, Marion, Marion said, look, here's the deal. Everything is going to be fair until y'all get to Broadway. When y'all get to Broadway, you're going to need a New York agent. So here's what I'm going to do. He referred me to some people. So I walked into an agency and sat down and looked at somebody and said, okay, I got a kind of a unique problem. I said, what do you mean? So I got a Broadway show and I ain't got no representation. Can you help me? And they looked at me like, are you crazy? And it's like, 
no, I didn't, you know, and then they were looking at me and you could see them shortening their fangs until I said, Marion sent me in. And they said, but Clinton? I said, yes. And they started unsharpening the fangs and said, okay, because you need somebody right, 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 right. that they gonna need again. So they have to take care of you. What they do, what it means is they don't take complete advantage of you. And so what happened was, so that happened, then I came back to do a show off Broadway and they came to see the show because they didn't know me. They didn't know nothing about me. And they came back to see that show. And then they came down to see a show in DC and they called me in the office and they said, you can act. And I was surprised. I said, well, can't everybody here act? I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Most of the people here that we represent are personalities. You can act. Okay. So this is, we got a whole new plan for you. And then when I had to come home, when, when my life partner's mother got sick and she had been, she had been taking care of her mom on her own, I came back. And, you know, it was like, okay, this is where life, this is the real meaning of life. I've been hustling my butt off to get to Broadway. But the real meaning of life is how do you show up in your relationships? How do you show up for your children? How do you show up? How do you show up for the things that really mean something? And so it, it reminds me of one of Woody Allen's quotes, I think, 85% of life is just showing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always like that. Hey, a couple of uh, quick things. By the way, it, it's interesting because I was uh, backstage in the studio in New York because I was uh, on a show out there. And I don't know whether you had this experience. The interesting thing was there was some famous people in there and everybody just automatically assumed you belong, you belong there. And you're famous, and it was interesting. These people, they were more famous than I was. I was basically, they were coming up to me, bugging me for my contact information. Right. It's kind of interesting how that worked. And and yeah, and that's what you find out where everybody, everybody, either in, in California or New York, are on the hustle because yep. you don't know who's going to be the person that's going to give you your break. That's a good point. And, and I didn't understand it. I watched, I did Jitney. Marion directed the first off-Broadway Jitney. And one of the actors, this brother, do you ever watch the show uh, Bob Hart's Abishola? No, I haven't watched that one. You should watch it, it's funny. But uh, the brother, he's on that show now. He was in the, He was in Jitney and he got hired to play Elijah Muhammad in Ali, when Will Smith did Ali. So he had to leave the show and fly to Africa. August suggested, August said, well, why don't we bring J-Dub in? And Marion was directed and Marion said, okay, I'm cool with that. I was thinking the same thing, but I didn't know if whether or not you was gonna say yes. So, okay, so I came in 
and they were, were they were working trying to get King Headley, the, the the another show to Broadway. We were mm -hmm. off Broadway, and I watched Marion come to Marion came to a performance, and this is my guy. This is you know me and Marion go back to early penumbra days. Mm -hmm. I, I sat back and watched how he was treated in New York. And I was like, oh, you holding court. This is because, I, and, and, and it wasn't, he wasn't putting on airs. It's just when you got the juice, people treat you like you got the juice. You know, and, and it was amazing because I sat back and watched it. And then I realized that while I had been there, people had been treating me with a little bit of juice because they knew me and Marion were tight. Right. Right. You know, and it's and, and that's that's it's those are the little things when you go, Oh, there's a way you think this works, and then there's a way this works. Really? So I, I tell everybody they find it surprising. We're gonna wrap it up here, studio. Uh, but I tell them the most friendly people I've met, my wife and I have done a lot of travel, but New Yorkers are some of the, I love New Yorkers, man. They're yes. some of the most friendly people I've ever met, but if you want to be left alone, they'll leave you alone. Uh, if you're the only black couple in a restaurant, I don't know, everybody's turning around staring at you. Which bring yep. <laughs> New Yorkers, are, I, I just love New York. Uh, so let's, 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 let's start uh, wrapping it up, but I might want to talk to you again because you're bringing out a lot of great stuff here, James Austin Williams, uh, as we call you J Dub. We might spell it differently. By the way, I, I just write a J and a D U B. I saw you spell a J Y D U B B. But you know, everybody knows yes, J Dub. So let's wrap it up. Uh, and actually, J Dub, and, and I think you and I have this in common. Uh, I'm concerned about the young kids in our community. Uh, having uh, proper role models, uh, having proper words said to them, because so much of what they hear sends the message that your situation that you're born in determines the outcome in your life, and we know that it's not true. Uh, they are caught up in, and we, you hit on it a little bit earlier, and I started to go into it, whether life is fair or not, and you know, history stuff. Uh, and I just think of them a lot. And when I have someone like you on the program, because I think it's a lot of it's just your perspective, your attitude, how you react to things, uh, your tenacity and your spirituality. And if you spell it out, it's P-A-R-T-S, the parts of life. So bottom line, uh, what message would you give to a young uh, person in the hood like you were growing up in st louis in a tough neighborhood uh let's say even uh if you're smart it's a bad thing what message would you give that person what type of encouragement will you give that young let's say black kid in the hood who got great dreams as far as the challenges that you ran through and what prepared you for them and how you overcame them August Wilson puts it best. In all of his plays, there's a version of the same quote. And he says, 
you can't be nobody but who you are. And that's enough. Mm -hmm. You can't ever let nobody convince you that it's not enough. You can't never let nobody tell you the quote unquote trauma that you've gone through is the thing that's in your way. You know, trauma, everybody got trauma. Everybody got trauma. And you can't judge how another person's trauma affects their lives. You know, you can't do that. It, it, you can't compare. I, I talked to you earlier about my father. My father's father walked out the door in Vicksburg, Mississippi, when my father was 10 years old, went out and he was a fireman on the Yazoo Delta line. When the train pulled back into the Vicksburg station, he was getting off the train and a car sped through the train station and shot him in the chest with a 12 gauge shotgun. And the, and the mystery has, who did it has never been solved. I found out there were during the summer of 1932, 1931 and 32, there were 32 black men who worked for the railroads that got assassinated because people wanted their jobs. That trauma went into my father. Part of that trauma went into me. So a microaggression to me ain't nothing. I can have a conversation. You know what? I don't even like that word. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> it's like, you know what? Okay, you can't say that to me. Yeah. I don't care. If you got a black friend, go say that to your black friend unless you say that. But you can't say that to me. You know? And, and that's, we are one of the hardest parts about who we are in this country is that we are so quick to let other people give us an identity. You know, and, and when you look at, we are made of stronger stuff than that. Somewhere along the line, I, I, I learned, I, I started believing that our lives, as jacked up as they are right now, or as jacked up as we perceive them to be, when people went to sleep at night in slave quarters, they dreamed about living like we do now. And you can't let that go to waste. You can't let, you can't let that go to waste. You can't, you, we made a stronger stuff than people. That's why they keep trying to make us feel like we should fold at, at, at anything. Right. You know, we are made of stronger stuff than that. You know, it's Langston Hughes. Boy, life for me ain't been no golden stair. I don't that, expect it to be fair to me. Yeah, well, fair, yeah. And when you mention fairness, I, I tell everybody a lot of times, my dad always said, fair is a place where they judge pig. He didn't want to hear about no fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a man. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we were a little chauvinistic back in those days. Uh, he would say to me, it's women and kids who got to worry about whether things are fair or not. 
as a man, it's your responsibility to get it done. I don't care what the situation is, no excuses. So that's the way I was raised. But unfortunately, we've gotten away from that. And I got young black men now saying to me, what is that? Uh, all I can do is just stay alive every day. Ain't got no goals, no anything. It's it, it just sad. And to listen to our generation today, J-Dub, I mean, you think they got it worse than we had. You, you think they had it worse than, than the slaves almost. And to, to listen to these young people nowadays. But once again, I think you're right. We're letting other people put that in our head and convince us of that without... And, and by the way, I, I don't want to get on so bad, but I've always understood. I am the original... We are the original people on this planet. Right. right. Everybody come from black folks. I don't care who you are. You know, so you can brag all you want. It'll be like me bragging about I'm smarter than my great-grandfather. That's a stupid person that does that, but I've said that before. And, and so I'm off that bandwagon. So thank you very much, J.W. That was an excellent uh, thing to end on with our audience. I think, you know, actually, to tell the truth, I think we got uh, other things to explore, other subject areas to explore just by this conversation. And even though I've been knowing you all these decades, I've learned so much about your background and your life. And by the way, the small world, Jesse Ghost Leonard at St. Louis University, the fact that you knew him, it, it, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And he got one, he, he has a great memory in my life. But I really appreciate you being on tonight. Uh, uh, like your brother, I'm just so proud of everything you've done. And, uh, and to be honest, I'm slightly surprised because uh, I still remember you talking about him being an actor. And I look up, uh, he's one of the great stage actors of our generation. Uh, worked with the great uh, playwright August Wilson, founding member of the Penumbra Theater, one of the founding actors. And he's going to have a hall or theater named after him. At McCall is McAllister University now? Or is it still McAllister College? It's still McAllister they don't College. want to be a university. They're I know they, they, they want to continue to charge sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars a year for tuition. But <laughs> Peter College, I right. found that out when I was going up, going with my older son Darian to all these little colleges. I think Gettysburg College was like sixty-five thousand dollars a year. So right. I never heard of Gettysburg College. But anyway. Uh, that uh, great education that you received at McAllister and all the wonderful things you've done, uh, being the spiritual person that you are, being the father that you are. Uh, I'm just really proud of your accomplishment. And once again, you know, having a theater name after you, uh, that means you've been memorial memorialized and uh, it'll always be there, man. So just great knowing you. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, you're, we're both here in the Twin Cities, so we're going to get together sometime within the next couple of weeks, and I'm going to follow up on uh, our conversation here tonight, and we just might have you back for a second term because we still haven't explored all the little uh, intricacy of being in the acting business. Oh, one thing I have to say before I go, and this is the last thing, is that my son being in acting, and we, you and I talked about this, you really were not interested you are stage actors. That's what you right. wanted to be. I think you indicated that. You weren't interested in being a big movie star. You wanted to do stage acting. And I say that to say this, is that uh, having uh, experienced my son's education in acting, I just came away with an appreciation for stage acting. 
versus the stuff you see in, 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 on TV and in the movie theater. It's not the same thing, folks. It is not the same thing. In fact, uh, in, in watching these uh, theater stage actors, I just realized they can find a four or five year old kid and get them to look good in a movie. And nobody have to teach them to get rid of that southern twang or anything. They just get anybody and they, and they look good at the movie. So I really came away with an appreciation for uh, you thespians and your craft and uh, the skills that it take for that. And once again, uh, James Austin Williams, J-Dub, to those of us who know him well, thank you very much for being on here and sharing all the great stuff that you shared. And like I said, this is probably one of the few interviews I walk away thinking, you know what? There's a lot more to the, uh, discover here with this guest. So we might have you back on again. So thank you very uh, much. And by the way, what are you having for dinner tonight? Have you eaten dinner? I, I'm about to go up and eat it now. I'm a little under the weather. But, mm-hmm. So I'm going to eat some, some uh, Vietnamese soup full. Okay, good. And one, I always one more thing. Uh, you're you're rehearsing for a play here in the Twin yes. Cities right now. Why don't you tell mm-hmm. the audience uh, the name of the play, when it's going to be, and where it's going to be performed at? It's called Passage by Christopher Passage. Chen. Okay. Uh-huh. It's at Pillsbury House Theater on 35th and Chicago, and it is a study of the effects of colonialism on the human spirit you know so it's it, it's there are some funny parts but there's some parts to make you think oh yeah yeah i'm gonna check it out but when it when is it when is the when is the opening night for that we open september 21st and we run through october 15th I will be there. Me and my wife will be there to check you out. Bring some guests. All right. Maybe, maybe a few of our frat brothers will bring our wives and come check you out. So really appreciate know. it. Proud of it. And I really admire your Cap Alpha Psi uh, coach you got on there. Windbreaker. Five new pie. Till uh, I die. <laughs> yeah. 